Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. I have uh, today's Bible reading and it comes from the New International Version. And the passage is Exodus 3, verses 1 to 8. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Thank you. Thank you, Hilary. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here by your Spirit. That the promise in Scripture is that where two or three are gathered in my name, there you are with us. And we are gathered today in your name. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to challenge us, to provoke us. Lord, we know that there's a lot going on in our world that is not good, as Rachel's already prayed. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who are guided and led by your Spirit in all that we do, in all that we say. That you might help us to to make a difference in the lives of those around us. We can't do that in our own strength, and so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to empower us to do that. Help us to draw on your, your strength and your power. Help us not to try and do things in our own strength. Lord, we know that rescuing is something we cannot do for ourselves, and we just want to thank you for the rescue that you give to us. Help us to grasp that afresh this morning and the profound work that you've done to do that and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. 
Well, like a lot of you, um, perhaps over the past week, I've been captivated uh, by the plight of those 41 construction workers uh, who were trapped in the uh, Silk Yara Tunnel in northern India in this past week. And uh, on the 12th of November, which is uh, quite a few days ago now, the road tunnel in which they were working collapsed and it left 41 of them trapped in this sort of small cavern uh, surrounded by thousands of tons of rock. They had no ability to get themselves out, none at all. And so their situation then became known throughout India and then throughout the world and they brought in heavy drilling machinery to bore in another shaft. And the machine got to within a few metres of where the trapped miners were and then it broke down. Just when you thought they were almost there. And so then they sent in these other men who they call rat miners. It's a terrible name, isn't it? But these are people who are able to work in very confined spaces. And they went in and they by, drilled by hand and grabbed rocks by hand and pulled them out so that they could make this shaft into this small cavern. And uh, eventually the shaft was complete and they were able to push this 90-centimetre pipe through into their cavern and uh, able to pull out those 41 miners alive and well. It was an amazing story of, of rescue. And as, as we know, I don't know about you, but I was ecstatic, and uh, uh, rescue stories, they're the best, aren't they? We love them. Who doesn't like a good rescue story? And so when the rescuers broke through the rock into the cavern, I'm certain that every person who was trapped in that tunnel would have said, oh, welcome, we're so glad to see you. And so the rescue of the tunnel workers in the Silkyara Tunnel would have, will actually be one of those stories that are, are remembered for decades and perhaps centuries to come. Now, Christmas is also a celebration, a celebration about a great rescue that God has done, not just for sort of a few people, few mine workers, but it's, about a, it's a celebration of a daring rescue that God has done, that God has undertaken actually for the whole human race. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several occasions in the book of Exodus where God comes down to his people. He actually comes down physically, and he, he does this on several occasions, we're told, in the book of Exodus. And, uh, and all of these comings speak to the point of what we are meant to remember and focus on and celebrate at the time of Christmas. We know why the rescuers came looking for the construction workers in the tunnel, don't we? Well, we, we, uh, he came to save, we, they, they came to save them. But we might actually have some questions ourselves about why God comes down. Some people don't like the idea of brushing up close to God. They like God being, you know, there, but at a distance. If God gets too close, it can make people feel nervous. And you see that in Scripture, don't you? When God does suddenly appear before people there, people are nervous. 
It's like when your boss turns up unexpectedly in the place where you're working. Ah, (laughs) it makes people nervous. We ask ourselves, we don't say it out loud, of course. What are you doing here? (laughs) Have Have I done something wrong? Have they come to check up on me? We know that, don't we? That's what goes through our minds, even for those brief few moments. I used to be a language and culture consultant for the cross-cultural organisation Baptist Mission Australia, and I had responsibility for all of our field workers in Southern Africa for their culture and language uh, learning. And uh, I trained new staff how to learn a language, how to actually understand culture, and also trained local helpers how to help expatriates do that. And uh, people loved me teaching them the theory about uh, learning a language, and they, they love getting tips on how to investigate culture. But one thing that everyone universally disliked was me turning up to their language learning lesson. What's he doing here? <laughs> Has he come to listen to me? People don't like being listened to when they're, when they're learning another language. People thought that I'd come to judge them, but my intentions were not to in- never to judge, but to encourage and to see and to make sure their language helper was doing the, doing the job in the correct way so that they would learn and grow. My chief goal in going was to help them succeed. And so many people, I reckon, have the same feeling about God. And I'm not just talking about Christians here or in Christianity, but many, in many religions... People are okay with God being there, right? They believe that God is there, just as long as God doesn't come too close to me. One of my favourite chapters in the book of Acts in the New Testament is Acts chapter 14, and it's when Paul and Barnabas go to this town, they're on their missionary journey, and they go to this town called Lystra, and in the course of their visit there, Paul prays for this man who's lame and the guy gets healed. It's an amazing story and it sort of Paul does it in a sort of offhand way and then all of a sudden, bang! The people saw this miracle and they thought that the gods, the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes had come down to earth appearing as Paul and, and Barnabas. And so immediately they get into this frenzy and they start slaughtering cows and they start bringing wreaths of flowers to lay at Paul and Barnabas's feet. It's frantic. They were frantic to please who they thought was Zeus and Hermes. Why were they frantic? Well, they were afraid. You see, Zeus is the god of thunder. They believed that the gods had actually come down to them previously. And in fact, they had a legend which said that they had come previously disguised as humans. But at that time, when they came, the people didn't recognise them. And so they went around the town looking for shelter and food, but no one let them into their house except for one old couple called Bacchus and... uh, and, um, and Phi, what's his name? Philemon. They welcomed them in without even knowing who they were. And consequently, these two gods rewarded them. But the rest of the people who had not welcomed them in, they got punished. 
And so the people of Lystra, when they saw this happening, you know, this miracle, they thought, oh no, Zeus and Hermes have come again. We better not make the same mistake that our ancestors have made. And so they were in this frantic sort of panic to try and, uh, try and rectify the situation. And so throughout much of the world, in different religions, gods are believed to only come down to test people and to punish people. And so consequently, no one wants a visit from their God. <laughs> no one wants God's eye on them in case it stirs up his anger. And so this is how people viewed gods, viewed gods in the past, but also today in other religions. And it also might be the way that you subconsciously or even consciously think about God today in your own life. You might believe in God, but subconsciously or consciously you might live in fear, believing that God is more likely to punish you than to help you. The idea of God as the chief tester and punisher, the one who comes down, is actually retold time and time time again in our secular Christmas story. Interesting, isn't it? You see, it's Santa who comes down to see who's been uh, bad or good. It's Santa who sees who's been naughty or nice. And so according to traditional Western beliefs about Christmas, you need to be good for goodness sake, otherwise you're going to get punished. But God coming down was not a, a welcome sight for Jews either. It made them nervous. And this was Moses' experience. We think of Moses as, uh, he has this sort of title, as a friend of God. In fact, this is what he's called at the end of the book of Exodus. But at the beginning of the book of Exodus, at the beginning of his life, um, this was not how, God, not how Moses thought about God. He didn't think of God as a friend. And so some background to the reading that Hillary gave us is that Moses was a Hebrew who was actually raised uh, by Pharaoh's daughter as to be a prince of Egypt. If you haven't read the book, you might have seen the film. <laughs> and in time, he, began, he came to know his true identity as a son of Hebrew slaves. And he came to understand that he wasn't actually an Egyptian. And so then what he tried to do is he tried to rescue the Israelites from their slavery because the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And so he began these sort of secret vigilante attacks. And he killed a couple of people, but he was soon discovered and he had to flee to Midian in the desert to live with his uncle. And there he began to herd sheep. And so one day while he's herding sheep, he's off at quite a distance from his uncle's home and uh, he saw this amazing thing. He saw this bush that was sort of burning with fire but was not burned up. And as he got closer to this bush, he heard a voice come from it telling him what he wanted Moses to do. And as soon as Moses realised that this was God speaking, revealing himself in this burning bush, he thought, I'm doomed. And he would have thought, like everyone else, why else does God visit people 
unless it is to punish them. But God came down and he appeared to Moses in the burning bush to get his attention. And so a burning bush that's never consumed by fire, it's a really unusual sight, isn't it? And so God appeared this way as this bush that was burning and not consumed to make Moses draw near. You know, it's meant to capture your attention. It's meant, it's meant to tell you, well, there's something not right there. I need to get closer and have a look. But God had not come down to punish Moses. He hadn't come down to punish Israel. God had come down with one purpose, and this was to rescue his people from their slavery. To come down is a phrase that's used quite a lot in the Bible. And whenever it is used, it's, connecting, it's usually connected with God intervening somehow in human affairs. There's also another phrase, to bring people up. And this, is a, this phrase also has deep meaning, and it's usually used in conjunction with God coming down. And so to bring people up is actually the language of deliverance. It's the language that speaks of rescue. The burning bush, it shows God to be powerful, doesn't it? You know, anyone who can make a bush burn and not burn up must be pretty powerful, mustn't they? And it was meant to be an unusual sight. It's not meant to be explainable. <laughs> it's abnormal by every measure. And it goes against the whole natural order because a fire that's burning brightly and intensely and is ablaze but not burning the thing up it's it's not normal. And so God showed Moses in the burning bush that he is this all-powerful God. And we grasp that, don't we? We know that if you believe in God, then you know he's all-powerful. But when an all-powerful God turns up, that makes you nervous. You want want God to be on your side, but not by your side, (laughs) don't we? You definitely don't want him visiting you. you. You never want him turning up at your house. You never want him appearing in your dreams or speaking with you personally because God getting too close can mean only one thing, that you've somehow offended God and that he's come to test you and to punish you. But here in the book of Exodus, in the, the verses that Hillary read for us, in verses 7 and 8, we have this amazing thing. We, we hear some other characteristics about the God who comes down. And these characteristics actually are meant to give us this other view of who God is. You see, in these verses, he's described as being all good. Because he is a God who sees their misery and who hears their prayers, and who cares about their suffering. And he's a God who acts. They're very powerful, very powerful ideas just in those few verses, in that verse there that can tell us something very profound about God. He's not just a burning bush punishing God. He's actually the God who rescues. Do you believe that this morning? 
Do you believe that in your heart, internally, does that actually move you and motivate you through your life? We need to know him this way, deeply. God didn't want Moses to think of him just as like his consultant. He didn't come to tell Moses, give him some advice about how to fight back against the Egyptians. You know, perhaps if you do this or you do that. No, nah, I don't think so, God. That's not what God was on about. God hadn't come just to sympathise and listen. Oh, yeah, that sounds really tough. Yeah. Mm. Mm. No, nah. that's not what our God is about. Our God is a God who rescues. He's a God who acts. He's a God who comes down. He's a God who comes down to act in tangible way to free people from being slaves. In the Old Testament, we see time and time again God rescuing his people from specific situations, from other tribes, from thirst, from hunger, from slavery. He even rescues them from themselves. And so how does this story then of God rescuing this this one group of people from slavery, how does that then connect in to Christmas? Well, Christmas is about God coming down to do a grand rescue. And this time it's not just rescuing a few people from some isolated events. God has come down to rescue all people from our slavery to sin and the shame that we experience as a result of the sin in our lives. Just like the trapped tunnel workers in India and just like the enslaved Israelites in Egypt, everyone, every one of us, it's caught up in a cycle of sin and shame that we can't break free from in our own strength. We're trapped and we need someone to rescue us. The Indian tunnel workers needed rescuers because they were out of options. They had no way of getting out of the tunnel of death unless someone came down into that cavern to rescue them. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians they're in the same predicament. They couldn't break free. They also needed a rescuer with power and knowledge and love to free them. Now, you might not be aware that you need rescuing today. Or also, you might actually refuse to believe that you need rescuing. You might think you're good enough. But the Bible says that we all need rescuing, every one of us. You might uh, think that we don't. You might think that you are not too bad, or that at least I'm not as bad as others. And that might be true. You might even not believe in the existence of evil. But I'm sure that you've experienced it. Even the most confident humanists are shocked by their own thoughts and their own actions at times. I guarantee you that. And so in Romans chapter 3, in this letter, Paul tells us plainly why we need rescuing. And this is what he says. He says, there's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. 
No one's living right. I can't find a single one. For everyone has sinned. We all fall, fall short of God's glorious standard. But then he adds, he adds what God's done about this. And surprisingly, he doesn't say, oh, God freaked out or God went ballistic. He says, God came down. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. I love this stuff. Basically, God saw that we were trapped in our own muck and mire, unable to free ourselves, and so he came, he came down to rescue us. In the Gospel of Matthew, verse, 20, verse 121, an angel appears to Joseph. You know, Joseph was, was betrothed to marry Mary. But after he discovered that Mary was pregnant, he thought, no, oh, I'm going to divorce her sort of quietly. But then God told him that a virgin was going to have a child and that he should accept that. Because it was God's doing. And we wonder why God comes down like that, don't we? Doesn't God know that in the 21st century people will struggle with the weirdness of that act? But a virgin being pregnant is also a sign, you see. It's a sign like the burning bush was a sign. It's meant to be weird. It, it's, it's, it's not meant to make you say, it's meant to make you say, that's not right. It's meant to show you that an all-powerful God is on the move and is going to do something really great. In the same way that a burning bush that is not consumed by fire isn't natural, so a virgin who has a baby isn't normal either. But Joseph was assured that this was God's doing by the Holy Spirit. He was then told by, an, by the angel that Mary will have a son and that he is to give the boy the name Jesus. In Arabic, it's Isa. That sounds like a specific command, doesn't it, to give him that name? And the reason he's to give him this name is because God doesn't want anyone to miss the point of what he's doing. You see, the name Jesus, it has a meaning. It has a big meaning. It means the Lord saves. It means the Lord rescues. And this is what our God does. It's in his very nature. You only need rescuing when you can't save yourself. If you can get out of a sticky situation with some help, then you might just need a consultant. But if you're out of options, what you need is a rescuer. You need a saviour. Could the tunnel workers save themselves? No. Could they dig their way through 60 metres of rock? No. Without rescuers, they were doomed. How could the Israelites save themselves from, from being slaves when they had no weapons? They couldn't. They were destined to be slaves forever. It's the same for each of us, friends. Rescuing, rescue is what we all need. 
because like tunnel workers, we are trapped in our sin and our shame. But the good news is, and there's really good news, rescue is what Jesus is all about. Rescue is what Christmas is all about. But we've sanitised Christmas. We've made it into a sort of extended family day. We've made it about gifts, about good feelings for one day of the year. We've made it about commercialism. But that's, to, that's, friends, to have way too lower expectations of what Christmas is really all about. You see, Christmas is not about tinsel and toys and turkey. It's about grasping afresh that God has come down to rescue each of us. When Jesus was ministering in Palestine, he rescued people from impossible situations. He, he saved fishermen from storms. He, he rescued the sick and the disabled and the spirit-possessed from their ailments. And these were great things, and they were all pointing to something that greater that he was going to do, to a grand rescue that he had in mind. And that, my friends, is your liberation and my liberation. Ultimately, God came down in Jesus to rescue you and I from what we cannot save ourselves from, which is the sin and stain that stains our lives. You might not have murdered anyone, but I'm certain if you're like me, then you've hated someone. You might not have stolen anything, but I'm certain if you're like me, you've coveted something of someone else. You might not have committed adultery, but I guarantee if you're like me, then you've lusted or longed for someone who you shouldn't have. You might not have perjured yourself in court, But if you're like me, you've bent the truth to suit yourself. And who can deal with that junk? Who can deal with that brokenness in your life? Can you deal with it? This is why we shrink back from God, isn't it? If we think that he's coming too close... Friend, are you shrinking back from God today? Are you pushing God away so that he doesn't get too close to you? Have you been seeking to avoid his gaze, to ignore his call on your life, hoping that he won't look too closely at your life or examine your thoughts or your intentions or your actions? But our but friends, our God knows you intimately. And this is what makes God coming in Jesus Christ at Christmas so amazing because he knows that we are naughty and not nice and yet he chose to still come down in mercy and in love to rescue you. Don't shrink back. Don't run. Don't try and outrun him or keep him on the periphery of your life. Allow him Allow him today, this morning, to embrace you because that's what he wants to do, friend, because that's what you need. Today, 
your experience can be like that of King David, the psalm writer. And if there's anyone who knew that they needed rescuing, it was David. He didn't just have hateful thoughts or lustful thoughts. He took those thoughts right through to their conclusion. He committed adultery. He killed people and lied to cover cover it up. But David, he grasped that he was also trapped and he was way down deep in his sin and shame and he knew that he was completely undone, unable to rescue himself from his situation. And so he writes this in Psalm 40 and he tells us what he did and what God did to experience God's rescue. And this is a beautiful verse and I want you to take this to heart. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. (laughs) He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. He He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed They will put their trust in the Lord. They are some of the most beautiful words written in the Bible, friends. And so the God who comes down in Jesus comes close for one reason only, to rescue you and me. He's the last person that we should run from or seek to avoid. And so the good news is that you don't need to become a better person in order to be rescued by him. He rescues you just as you are and deals with the muck and mire in your life. And this is the amazing thing, friends. He actually puts a new song into your mouth. A new song, which means he gives you a new beat, a new rhythm for your life. And that can start today. A new vision for what life is all about. Is that what you want? Because that's what God can do for you this morning. I don't know if your vision's working. I don't know if your vision of life is actually really satisfying you, but I know that God's vision for your life is complete and worth following. Friend, what are you going to do with the God who comes down in Jesus today? What are you going to do with him? In the tunnel, there were 41 construction workers, and it took 17 days to drill a hole big enough to put in a pipe so that they could rescue each of them from where they were trapped. That hole that the rescue team dug was, was, was really expensive. They had hundreds of people on site, experts from all around the world. Even a guy from Melbourne was there directing the rescue. And they had this massive drilling machine going day and night. And when it broke down, they didn't give up. They didn't say, ah, well, ha, we tried. No, they sent men in there at the risk of their own life to dig by hand, to pull out those rocks. Why would you go to so much effort to do that? Love. People need rescuing. And so the whole of India and much of the world watched, hoping, cheering in the background, wanting these people to be rescued. Now, can you imagine if after all that effort, when they finally broke through into that sort of little cavern, that some of the people who were trapped there said, nah, thanks, thanks for that. 
I'm not really going to accept what you've done. I think, I've, I think I'm going to give it a try myself to get myself out. Can you imagine any of them doing that? Not on your life. You'd be scrambling for the hole. But many people do that today, every Christmas, don't they? Friends, don't be one of those people. God has come down in Jesus to rescue you. I want to encourage you to accept that rescue today. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your rescuer, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. God has done all the hard work. God has done all the digging. If you want to experience his rescue, then you simply need to respond and accept his help. Will you do that this morning? The other week we were taught a few simple breath prayers. Breath prayers are powerful because we can actually express something very succinctly, very powerful in just a few words. And I want to encourage you, if you want to accept Jesus as your rescuer, then I want to encourage you to do that simply this morning with me. In the Bible, many people were rescued by Jesus simply by calling out to him a simple prayer asking for help. The blind man who sat by the side of the road, who people pushed away, called out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. And guess what? Jesus stopped and had mercy on him and healed him. And you can experience rescue today from your situation, from your sin, from your shame, from your brokenness, from hopelessness, from any situation, from addictions. From self-loathing, if you want Jesus to rescue you this morning, then I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Won't you pray that? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, God sees you this morning. He cares about you. He's come down in Jesus to rescue you. I want to invite the band come. As we sing our final song, What He Has Done. It's a beautiful song, this one. But I want to encourage you to make this song a reflection and a prayer. Because it tells you what God has done for you. And as you're singing this song, why don't you respond to God as he calls you to? This might be just a few words of prayer. It might be, you might kneel down, you might sit down, you might, I don't know, run around. But allow God to speak to your heart and move you to action today. Thanks, Rachel.